anything at all like me. And I bet you're probably thinking, oh, please, I hope not. <laughs> I hope I'm nothing like you. Well, let's find out. Let's see. Do you ever find yourself looking at someone else and asking yourself this? Why, why are they getting a better job? Why are they getting ahead of me? I feel like I'm being left behind. Have you ever struggled with jealousy deep inside because the success of somebody else or their good fortune, somebody you know, and you're like, yay for you. Do you want a friend to succeed as long as they don't get ahead of you? I'm happy for you. Do you ever find yourself creeping on somebody's social media post because they're moving forward maybe a little bit faster and you have to take a look at it because it's irritating you? Do you occasionally have trouble sleeping at night because you can't stop thinking about them and what is happening to them? Or do you sometimes struggle focusing during the day because you can't stop thinking about another person's life? Do you ever secretly wish that they would fail? Do you just ever think, that, that's, that's not fair? You know, those are very lonely places to be for yourself because much of that time is spent just roaming around inside of your mind. And occasionally you find somebody else who maybe they want that person to fail too. And so together you run around in this negative circle conversation as if your foot is nailed to the floor and you just keep going round and round and round. These are miserable places to be emotionally and miserable places to be in our thinking and in our minds. And when we get there, it seems like we can't escape this downward spiral of our thoughts and our feelings. Now, Jesus knows our human strengths, and he knows our weaknesses. He knows that we have a tendency to all get up in our feelings and to get up in ourselves. And we have this tendency to think that this is fair, but all of this is unfair. But that doesn't stop God from doing what God is going to do in his kingdom. Now, we started reading this story last week. This is a story that Jesus made up to help him explain what the kingdom of heaven is like on this side of heaven. Here's how this story begins. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man. And let me give you information. Jesus is the man in this story. By the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now, last week we said that it's not so important what the man, in this case Jesus, gave to the employees or to his followers. Rather, it is what he gave them is still his. That's the important concept in that verse. He simply asked them to manage it. He did not ask them to own it. So... Let me give you some information about where we're going this morning. When, when Jesus tells a story like this, it's called a parable. When he tells one of these stories, he has really one big main point. And this morning, we're not talking about that one big main point. We're going to get back to that next week. But what we're doing this morning is taking this next verse 
of this story, and we're using it because we understand as we live this life, we understand our human nature, and we're going to draw some very important lessons from this verse that's not necessarily exactly where Jesus is going with this story. But do not fear. We're not leaving the pages of Scripture because the concept we are teaching, this is just a springboard into that topic and we're going to learn as we as we move towards the, through this teaching this morning it precisely what Jesus does teach about this topic we're just using this verse this morning as our springboard kind of a uh, social experiment if you will in what Jesus has created here in this scenario so the story Jesus is telling is there is a man played by Jesus. He goes on a long trip, but before he goes, he takes everything he owns and he divides it up between his employees. And here we pick up this verse 15. What exactly did the man place in their hands? So here's the answer. He gave five bags of silver to one. We're going to pause here for a moment. He gave five bags of silver to one. Now the actual word that is used uh, in this is the word talent. He gave five talents to one. Um, the people who um, translated this used bags of silver because it makes more sense to us. We have no idea. We don't use talents. That's not how we handle money. And so that makes no sense. So they did that to help us make sense. So what exactly is a talent? So this bag of silver, what exactly, how much is that? So what is Jesus saying that this man gave them. Um, so to understand when the New Testament talks about a talent, here's what that means. It's a very uh, pretty specific amount of money. What it means is it's about 20 years of income, 20 years of a salary, if you didn't touch any of that money at all and just kept putting it in the bank. That's what one talent is, 20 years. So for... Jesus to say that this man gave five talents to this employee, that today's money, today's time, that's about two and a half million dollars. So Jesus often, when he told these parables, he talked in the extremes. This is certainly an extreme. Two and a half million dollars. Can you imagine? I mean, today, if you were at work and your boss called in one of the employees to his office, and he calls him in. He's like, listen, I, I, I'm going to go on a long, long trip. I don't know how long we're going to go. Maybe 20, 30 years. I, I don't know. It's going to be a long trip. But while I'm gone, I, I want you to take care of this. And he picks up a big bag of thud. He sets it on the desk. He pushes it towards the employee. And he says, I want you to take care of this for me. Fred, Fred, this is two and a half million dollars. Will you, will, you, will you manage this for me while I'm gone? Two and a half million dollars? To me? I, I mean... Can you imagine what the employee would be saying? I, I mean, he would be doing the happy dance, like this little happy dance coming up right here. Yeah, this is exact. He would be, like, yeah, yeah, uh huh. I'll take care of it for you, boss. Woo, woo, happy dance. So excited. And let's say he calls in another employee, and the employee heard the excitement that was going on. He knows something good happened, doesn't know exactly what it is. He knows there's exciting things going on. Oh, this is good. And maybe the guy comes out and he's got like 
Two and a half million dollars coming out of that room. Wow. And he's like, I'm, I, I'm getting called next. If he calls his name, he knows he's next. He starts doing his happy dance. He's like, oh, happy. He's like, yeah, this is great. Oh, I hit myself in the eye, but it's going to be okay. I'm still really, really happy. It's going to be good. He goes into the office to hear about his two and a half million dollars. And here's what happens. And Jesus says, two bags of silver to another. Two bags is one million dollars to another. And can you imagine if the guy's like, wait, what? He got five bags. You're giving me two bags? Wait a minute, that's, that's not fair. That's not fair. What, what's up with that? I, I mean, what's going on here? That doesn't make sense. He gets five, I get two. Two and a half million dollars, I get one million. He's got a lot more than I've got. Now, what if you're on the outside? You hear the excitement of what's going on, but maybe you don't know anything about what the amounts are, what's really happening. You just know happy things are happening. And what if he calls you in next? You're outside, he calls you in, and your boss says, listen, I'm going on a long trip, it's going to be a long time, I don't know how long, 20, 30 years, I don't, I don't know a long time, but here, I want you to take care of this for me, and he pushes one bag of silver over to you, and that bag equals, here's what he said, one bag of silver to the last, and that's you. He pushes it to you, and that tell, he says, this is $500,000, and you're like, what? $500,000? That's great. That's amazing. I've, I've never had so much at one time. Wow, 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 wow. And you do your happy dance. I mean, you're so excited. Things are great. You're kind of backing out, doing your happy dance out of the office. And then you see, you look over to your side. You see, wait, they got more. This, wow, wow, wow. That's not what I thought. I, that's not how I thought it was going to go. You were all excited at your $500,000. It was unbelievable, perhaps, until you saw what they had been given. And now your score of a lifetime suddenly seems minuscule compared to theirs. It was all great until you took your eyes off of what you had been given and you placed it on someone else's. What might come to your mind if you're like most of us? We might say, that's not fair. Why are they getting a better cut than me? Why do I feel like I'm being left behind? So tell me, have you ever struggled with jealousy deep inside because of the success or the good fortune of someone that you know? And you end up just simply saying, yay, good for you. Or you say, I was excited for them until I found out that they were ahead of me. And it leaves you saying, I'm so happy for you. I was okay, perhaps, until I compared myself to you. And now I don't feel so good about myself. Maybe you're scrolling through Facebook and you stumble upon that picture of them Largely, you stumble upon it because you're creeping their sight. And you see their bags of money, their good stuff, all in the pictures. And it makes you so mad. Like, oh my word, 
Did you see that tweet? That twit. I've got an Instagram for you. Smack, smack. Because we just can't get excited for them. We have stacks of money, perhaps in the corner, according to this story. But maybe we're tossing and turning at night because we can't stop thinking about them. You think to yourself, maybe maybe someone will knock them on the head and they'll take their stuff. Or maybe they'll lose it somehow, then I'll have more than them. Or maybe somehow, maybe, maybe, just maybe I can get theirs, and then that would make me feel better. You begin fighting inside of your mind because you think that this is unfair. Well, a few weeks ago, we referred to a verse in James, and it fits this scenario so well, we have to use it again. James says this in James chapter 4, starting with verse 1, What causes the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are within you? You see, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what brings you pleasure. Listen to this three three big points. Anytime I take my eyes off of my responsibility and I place them on your responsibilities, I lose every time. Anytime I want to be responsible for what you are responsible for, I lose every time. Anytime I compare what I've been given to what you have been given, I lose every time. I lose even if I have more than you. I still lose when I compare every time. So back to this verse that's our our springboard into this topic. Verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. You see, it all belongs to God. And God chooses where it goes, when it goes, and he chooses how much goes where. And because of this, because I know that God chooses according to their abilities, I know God knows, so I can say this emphatically about myself. I have plenty for me to take care of in this life. God has made sure of that. I have plenty to take care of, but if I'm going to get it done, I have to take my eyes off of your stuff. There is a cure for all the comparison we have a tendency to do. There is a cure for all of the jealousy that we fall into. There is a cure for the thoughts in my head that say, this is just unfair. There is a cure. Here it is. Take my eyes off of them and their gifts and their stuff 
and their good fortune and place my eyes on the need right in front of me. Serve. Serving is the cure. Serving is the cure to self. Serving proves that this is not about me. It proves for you that this is not about you. That this world is not here for you. Jesus, in this story, uses the term talent. And we know, after our discussion, it means a specific amount of money. 20 years of a wage. That's a talent. He gave them different amounts of talents. Different talents. Five, two, and one. But we can make an application here. By using that word that we're familiar with, the word talent... And we can say this, and, and it's, we're quite sure this is accurate according to Scripture, that God has given you very specific abilities and gifts. We call them talents. He's given you talents, gifts, abilities. We have different abilities, all, all given to us by God. And God chooses who gets what. I'm just going to be very transparent here with you for a moment. I wish I could play the guitar and write songs like Chris. I really do. In fact, I own two guitars. I cannot play like Chris. I can't write songs. I, I can't. I don't have the talent. I don't have that gift. I wish I did. I wish I could play the keyboard like Cindy and Judy. I really do when I hear him play. I wish I could do that. And guess what? I own a keyboard. I can't play like Cindy. I wish I could when I hear him play. I wish I could play the drums like Cole. I haven't bought drums yet. But I wish I could play. I wish I could play the, the bass guitar and write songs like Miss Laverne. I have owned a bass guitar. Till it broke, not from being played. I can't. I wish I could sing like Mr. Ronnie can sing. I wish I could. I cannot. And when I hear them play, and when I hear other musicians play, I really wish I could. And I can do none of those things. But I look at them and I say, oh, I want to do that. And you know, the more I watch that and look at that and want that, I forget that I have any talents at all. I forget. When I take my eyes off the way that God has created and designed me, when I start wishing for all that they can do and all that they have, and I forget how God has designed me, what God has gifted me to do, guess what? I lose. And I become useless. I learned this during the remodel. Do you realize, you may, you may realize this, not everyone is meant to build things. Not everyone's meant to. 
Not everyone's gifted that way. Not everyone is meant to sing with a microphone in front. If I sang with a microphone in front of my face, here's how you would listen to me. First, your posture, you would raise up in your chair, (laughs) you would tilt your head, and you would squint your eyes. Not everyone is meant to sing with a microphone in front of their face. Not everyone is given musical ability. Not everyone is given public speaking strengths. Not everyone is given organizational abilities or talents. Not everyone has a talent to mechanically fix things or the ability to to go into a room and to clean it to the most minute detail. We are all different. And it is by God's design. I have to stop. I have to look at what God has given me. And I have to use that to begin to serve. Because when I compare, I lose every time. Let me be very transparent now. When I look at other churches... And I see how God has gifted them and grown them and blessed them. I have the potential to move into a very bad place. For example, I was a youth minister 17 years before I started church planting. And I have now been church planting um, eight, uh, like 13 years. So I've been in ministry for 30 years. <laughs> I know I look like I'm 16. I don't know how to do it. 30 years in ministry. When I was a youth minister, I could easily get depressed or just in a skunky place about the 300 kids that I was ministering to. Now listen, I know that's crazy. That's crazy because I had more teenagers 7th grade through 12th grade, I had more teenagers in my group than most churches had in total attendance. But yet I could get in a very skunky, funky place when I thought about that. Do you know why? Because a church down the road had 400 kids in their student ministry. You see, when I take my eyes off of my responsibility and I start looking at you and your responsibilities, I lose every time. And the cure is for me to place my eyes on the needs in front of me and serve. To take my eyes And not focus on you and your responsibilities and your giftings. But to take my eyes and put them right where I am. And to serve right there where I am with what God has given me. And with my very best effort. But the longer I look at you, the more I want what you have. The more I want your responsibilities instead of mine, the more I think that I deserve them more than you, or at least as much as you, and the more that I think this whole thing is just unfair. 
but there's a cure. I have to stop looking at you and start looking at the needs right in front of me. Think about you for a minute. Is there a person at work of whom you're jealous? I mean, you may be consumed with what they have or what they get to do. You have to stop that cycle. It'll ruin your day. And you put enough days together, it'll ruin your year. You have to take your eyes off of their life, their job, their responsibility, and place them on yours and do your very best with what you've been given. You possibly have a friend, even a frenemy, who has what you think is a better life than you, or maybe they have better relationships than you, or something better than you, and you think about it, and you just let those thoughts simmer in your mind and stew in your mind. You have to take your eyes off of their life and place your eyes on the needs right around you and serve right there, right where you are. Take your eyes off of them and their circumstances and place them with love and serve right where you are, the needs around you, with your family, your friends, where you're at work, in your neighborhood, in your church, right where you are. And if you don't, it'll ruin your day. And you put enough days together, it'll ruin your year. You know, something else can happen along these lines. In a church family, I can also kind of look at what you've been given and maybe how good you are at doing what you're doing. And I could say, ah, they really don't need me. I mean, they're so good at what they do. They they don't really need me. I can't do what they can. So I don't think I'm going to help. Or we might say, I just don't want to serve. I mean, I don't want to put out any more effort than what I have to do. I work all week long. I don't want to come to church and serve. That's my day off. Someone else can do it if they want to get it done. I just don't want to serve. And again, if I say that, I lose. Because God has created me to serve. And if in a church I keep walking past a need and I expect, well, if they want it done, someone else will do it. I will never fulfill my purpose. The cure is I have to serve. I might even at a church be so busy doing other things that I think, well, somebody who doesn't have a job, they can do that. I just don't have time to serve. If I say that, I lose. Because I've never really met a family that functions without getting the chores done. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, every family has chores. And everyone jumps in and they take care of some of the chores to get them all done. And if someone says they're part of the family, but they don't want to be part of the chores, you have to question, are they really part of the family? You see, we jump in and we do the family chores. If I simply refuse, then guess what? I lose. The only cure for self is to take my eyes off of myself and to place them on the need right in front of me and to serve there with what I've been given 
and to do my very best. Serving is proof that I understand that this life is not about me. It's proof that I understand that God has given me a purpose and he gives me everything that I need to fulfill his purpose for me. And that purpose is not me. That purpose is not my comfort. That purpose is not my pleasure. You know, if anyone deserves to be served, it's God. God deserves to be served. You know, Jesus is God. But Jesus did not allow his eyes to look at his needs. He did not allow himself to to look at what was fair for him. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, I mean, I, I, I was born in a blue-collar family. I mean, my family, we build things. I, I, my dad's not the King Herod or anything. I, no, Jesus didn't say that. In fact, God himself, Jesus, placed himself in, in a nothing town with a family that had nothing that was really impressive. That's where God placed himself. And Jesus went on from there to fulfill his purpose as only he could. So this Jesus, this God, what does he think about us serving? Let's go to his words and let's hear what he says. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, for even I, the son of man, that's Jesus saying, hey, I am God who put on the flesh of man for you. So he's saying, even I, God, came here not to be served. He could have. He deserves it. He's earned it. He's God. But he said, that's not why I came. I did not come here to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus says. And now, like Jesus, I must put my eyes on the needs in front of me, and I must serve. And it's proof that I understand that this is not about me. You see, when I can't stop thinking that life is unfair, I must serve to get better. When I can't stop thinking about what you have been given, I must serve to get better. When I can't stop wishing that I had your responsibilities, I must serve to get better. And when I can't stop comparing myself to you, I must serve to get better. And it is only when I am serving that I am being fulfilled. It is only when I am emptying my life through serving that I am being filled and made full and made content. And all of today's talk leads to this right here, what I'm getting ready to say. I'm going to be very, very, very practical. And I'm also going to be honest with you. The last time I talked about serving in a practical way, like I'm going to right now at this moment, we had on that day, that Sunday, not one single next step indicated on the connection cards. And I am telling you that that told me something. Either 
I am the worst communicator in Arkansas, and that is very possible. (laughs) Or, those of you who were not yet serving were making a specific choice to not serve at Stuttgart Harvest Church. We must live our lives at Stuttgart Harvest Church by serving others, and I am asking you, Will you join me? But this is what I'm saying. If you're not serving on a team right now, you have a wonderful opportunity to grow with this. You have a a tremendous opportunity to experience what I would describe as the life that is in line with God's plan for your life. We are fortunate at Stuttgart Harvest Church We don't have to beg people to serve because lots and lots of people are serving. But until everyone is serving, we haven't done it right. We are in a place where people do want to get involved. That's why we don't have to beg people to serve. We are not begging so that we can fill positions that are unfilled and needs that are going largely unmet. That's not what we're talking about. We're not drowning in responsibility. The reason why we focus on this so much and we talk about it so much, we want you to serve because it is part of God's purpose and plan for you to grow you. To, to change you, to mature you. And it's also God's plan to change this world around you. Just about every single serving team that we have at Stuttgart Harvest Church has room for growth. And it's not because we're desperate to get people stuck into spots. No. There's room because we just simply know we get better through taking our eyes off of ourselves and placing them on the needs in front of us and simply serving the best we can with what we've been given. So I just want to call out a few places specifically. Again, not because we're begging and drowning in responsibility. No, just because there are opportunities for you to lock arms with us. So the first area, it's our kids area. If you're interested in that, you just pass a background, kind of a child predator background check. And then you can be part of our, what we call our first look ministry. That, th- those are our toddlers, the little guys. You know what we teach them? We teach them that Jesus wants to be their best friend forever. Would you help us do that? And you're not just ministering to those toddlers. You're ministering to their parents who are in here. Because the toddlers want to be running around playing. And if they're in here in their parents' lap, they are miserable. And if they get miserable enough, guess what happens? They make everyone else miserable. You're ministering to their parents. And allowing those parents to focus in on what God has for them. And you're teaching those toddlers that Jesus wants to be their best friend forever. That's the first look ministry. You could write that down on the back of your connection card. Here's the other one, the children's ministry. That's for the grade school age. We call that 252. Now, the grade schoolers, they have a lot of fun. But if you bring your grade school kids into here, all they know is that they have to be quiet 
uh, for about an hour, and then if they're not, they're going to be in trouble. And maybe they can color on some pages, or they can take a worship guide, and they can draw on that, but they're just waiting for it to be over. And you know what you've taught them? You've taught them that, that this whole God thing, this whole Jesus thing, really has nothing to do with them. They're too little. That's a horrible message. You know what? That's why we have the 252, and they're going on right now in the room next to us, the theater next to us. Here's the thing. You wouldn't take your elementary school aged or middle school, you know, fifth, sixth grader, you wouldn't take them Monday and drop them off at Phillips Community College and say, hey, I'll pick you up later. This is, go learn. You, you know why you wouldn't do that? Because they wouldn't learn anything. It's not appropriate for their age. And that's why we don't bring the children into here. That's why we have 252 and First Look. You know, because we, take, we teach them on their level in a way that's exciting and fun and engaging and in a way that they can understand. And if you help us with 252, you're helping us create that environment to minister to those children and to their parents while their parents are in here. That's why. We have room for you. We have room for you. Just put 252. Or put first look. Here's, here's a big one. This is newly being organized. First look, 252, those are pretty organized. This is new at being organized. It's called facility freshness because this is a big facility. You can sign up to help us keep it clean and fresh for the next worship experience, the next small group, the next thing. So here's the question. Can, can you sweep? Awesome, you could sign up. Can, can you dust cobwebs? you know how many cobwebs can form in a building that's been here for decades and decades and decades as a shop? Lots of spiders love that. You could dust cobwebs. Sign up. You could even clean windows with it. Sign up. You could help us mop. Sign up. Facility freshness. You know, we all like fresh restrooms. I, I do. We don't always notice when they're fresh, but we notice when they're not. Maybe you could sign up and help us keep a restroom fresh for the next worship experience. Sign up for facility freshness. Here's another one. This has not been organized yet, but we realized it through the remodeling. We realized this is something we need. This is brand new. We're calling it property management. Can you paint a wall? Sign up. You could be a part. Can you run a drill driver? Sign up. Can you change an air conditioning filter? Sign up. Be a part of that. Can you cut a board with a saw? Sign up. Can you fix a dripping faucet? Sign up. Hang a picture? Can, can you stain a board? Sign up. Help us keep this place growing and strong and in good shape for generations to come. This morning, I'm simply asking, will you serve with us? The cure for comparison is serving. The cure for jealousy is serving. The cure for seeing life as not fair is serving. And I'm asking you to join us. Put on the back of your connection card, if you will, first look or 252 or facility freshness or, or property management. God has given you precisely what you need to serve with us. And your success has everything to do 
with what you do with what you've been given. Let's pray. Father, so many times I have felt that what you have given me is just simply unfair. I've wanted what you've given someone else. Father, so many times I feel lousy because I compare myself to someone who is gifted in so many ways that I'm not. And it makes me feel useless and no good. Father, so many times I want someone else's responsibilities. I want their gifts. And it just boils down to, God, I want their life. Help me to take my eyes off of them. Help me to place my eyes clearly on the needs in front of me. Help me to serve right there. Help me to give my best right there. And it's not in serving God that I make everything right. It's in serving that I realize and I acknowledge that this life is not about me. It is about loving others all the way to the cross of Jesus. It's about serving others all the way to the cross of Jesus. Thank you, God, for giving me everything that I need to do what you have for me to do. Jesus, give me the wisdom to know what to do with what I've heard and give me the courage to do it. Amen.